welcome to Elite Rugby SNC Podcast, the best podcast talking all things rugby and strength and conditioning. At Elite Rugby SNC, we provide athletes with strength and conditioning programs that provides you with everything you need to become a beast and take your game to the next level. No matter what stage of the year or season, Elite Rugby SNC has a program for you. You can try before you buy, so try our seven-day, seven-dollar trial to get a taste of what we offer here at Elite Rugby SNC. So take your game to the next level, become a beast, and join Elite Rugby SNC today. G'day, Harry. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. Yourself? Yeah, going well. As you can see, I'm wearing me uh, me flanny. It's a bit chilly tonight in Canberra. What's the weather like up there in Sydney? Yeah, starting to cool down a bit, but nothing like what you're enjoying, I'm sure. Yeah, have you seen many, uh, you know, puffy jackets out there in Sydney? No, nah, mate, still, oh, it's, I only just started wearing a long sleeve to shirt, so it's still <laughs> happy days here. Oh, that's good. That's good. It seems like, you know, the sun goes down, the puffer jackets come out in Sydney, even if it's not that cold. Oh, maybe over in the eastern suburbs, not over here. <laughs> the northern suburbs, I like it. So heading into round eight of the Street Shield, how's the body feeling, mate? And how and how's the mind feeling as well? Uh, yeah, it was it's crazy. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, chugging along really well, top of the comp, and I was sort of thinking, oh, I could probably play forever and then you come off the back of a couple of losses and all of a sudden you're, you're a bit sore and stiff and whatnot but um no I think going along pretty well and I think mindset wise there's a lot of new guys at Norse this year so it's sort of keeping it nice and fresh and sort of rejuvenating a little bit as well yeah it's definitely challenging when there are some new guys and new new faces but it's also exciting as well you know you got to start building those connections again what if What's been your message this week for the boys to sort of, you know, get up for this game this weekend and try and um, bounce back from a couple of losses? Yeah, I think probably over the last few weeks, we've probably been our own worst enemy a bit. And I think <clears throat> most of the times this looks like we're putting a little bit too much pressure on ourselves with some pretty poor, just basic skill execution. So I think it's just to loosen up a bit and trust the systems. And um, yeah, I think, you know, it's pretty easy to get up after off the back of a couple of losses, it's pretty easy to get up for this one. So back at home, it should be exciting. Yeah, hundred percent. It's it always comes back to those little things, eh? Like you know, catch passes and on point, or communications going out the door. So they're easy fixes, but you know, you still got to work at them as well and implement them in the game. Yeah, correct. And I think it's old saying like it was good effort. And we've been quite physical the last couple of weeks as well. But just yeah, it's a few passes not sticking or lapses in concentration to sort of let us down a little bit. So. Yeah, I don't think this week was about a rant and rave or anyone getting a kick up the arse. I think it was just more almost lightening up a bit and, um, you know, just getting back to those fundamentals. Mm, 100%. So growing up as a young lad, what sports did you play and how did you end up playing rugby? Yeah, so I guess growing up in Wagga, it's typical like country kid sort of stuff. So um, mainly for the most part growing up in the winter was Saturday was rugby league, Sunday rugby union. And then in the uh, summer, um, yeah, in the summer was cricket and touch footy. I think I only got into rugby union. I think we moved to Wagga when I was halfway through kindergarten. And then, I don't know, you couldn't sign up for soccer. They were all full or something. And then my brother went down and started playing rugby. And I guess anyone was allowed to go down and play rugby, even though the season started. So we, we just started playing rugby. And then we'll sort of rugby people ever since my parents and that's you know my old man became the president of the Bogger juniors and stuff like that and sort of just became entrenched in us and from there 
No, it's awesome. It's always interesting because when I was growing up, it was rugby union on the Saturday, league on the Sunday. And yeah. many other places have told me it's the opposite. No, no, no. It's league on the Saturday, rugby union on the Sunday. Yeah, I'm not sure why. Just that was just always the normal. I never really questioned it. Mm. So if you weren't playing rugby today, what sport do you reckon you'd be playing? Uh, today, I'd probably um, probably golf. Um, obviously, I enjoy those other sports growing up, but I think now when you know you do so much preseason stuff, you don't really get to play full season or anything else. So, you know, I think in the next couple of years, when I put um, hang up the old boots, I'll be uh, I'll be into the golf. I reckon. Yeah, it's a good sport, and you you don't feel too sore, you know, the next day unless you're really taking a lot of swings at the ball. But um, from a person who's been playing a bit of golf, you know, this year it's it's good fun, but. The mental side of it as well you you're saying some swear words and getting angry and it's it's a whole different sport in in, in itself yeah for sure i think i feel like i've got usually got a pretty good temperament in rugby but as soon as i get in the golf course it all goes out the fucking window mate those f-bombs just come out the c word yeah. comes out you're like what why am i putting myself through this why am i paying for this you know you start questioning yeah. those as well it's hilarious so you've had a solid career so far here in Australia because we might have some overseas listeners who might not know where we are. Before playing in the Shoot Shield in Sydney, you did spend some time down here in Canberra playing for the Royals and you also played in the Brums under-20s and ACT Griffins. What was it like playing first-grade rugby in Canberra and um, playing rugby in, in the rep teams as well? What was that like? Yeah, I think um, sort of just fell into uh, Royals after school out of a few personal connections and whatnot and then... Yeah, I loved it there. It was like, um, for anyone who doesn't know Royals, like super sort of successful club over a, a long, rich history. But you go down to the the clubhouse in the Oval, it's all like a humble sort of setup. You know, blokes were playing first grade that day, flipping snags in the canteen. So I think, yeah, just really loved being a part of that setup. And it was just proper good club rugby. Um, and I think, yeah, probably just, you know, getting the opportunity to play grade and in some of those rep teams when it was still cold age, whether it was, you know, playing Colts and sitting on the bench in first grade or getting the opportunity to start in first grade, I think just allowed me to progress my rugby a bit quicker than possibly some individual individuals who just have to stay in Colts um, and other club competitions in the world. So I think that opportunity to play against men a bit early really helped develop my game. And yeah, a couple of good years there. We won 2015, we won the Colts premiership and then followed up and we, I got a bump in the Colts final, unfortunately, so I didn't get to sit on the bench for the first grade final. But I was, yeah, sitting there on the sideline when BJ scored that uh, memorable try at the end. So, yeah, definitely a great couple couple years in uh, at the Royals and sort of, yeah, helped, certainly helped my progression uh, at that sort of teenage, 18, 19-year-old age. Yeah, it's awesome. BJ did mention that on the, the last episode as well, scoring that try. And I do remember that day because you you beat me in Colts that day. Yeah, correct. It was, yeah, such, so. a, it was such a weird day that um, day for, for Vikings, you know, 0-5 and pretty much all grades getting beaten on the buzzer. It was just such a weird day. But, you know, it's if it's a weird day for me, it was a successful day for you in the club. And, yeah, it's it's just the, the beauty of rugby. Yeah, for sure. And I, yeah, that that uh, couple of days at the Royals Clubhouse afterwards, is yeah, it was just awesome. Mm. I think that's the, the thing that really separates rugby from some other sports is the off-field antics they get up to, but it's done in such a, a unique way and it's all the, the brotherhood and the sisterhood there and you're just getting around each other, having a few beers and just having fun and just, you know, talking about rugby, talking about life and just relaxing. Yeah, for sure. I think like 
it's one thing that keeps me coming back year after year. It's probably uh, is that off-field stuff and, you know, you might have a shit day at work but you get to go down on a Tuesday and run around with your mates and the phone's off in the bag, no emails. And it's, yeah, it's awesome. Mm, 100%. So you decided to take your talents to the Shoot Shield and join the nor- northern suburbs. What's it been like playing up there for Norves and, and playing in the Shoot Shield? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, it's been really good. I've obviously loved being at Norse and it's sort of ingrained in me now. Um, sort of just randomly ended up at Norse uh, halfway through that 2016 year and really didn't know much about the club when I turned up at all. Um, knew like one or two blokes here and there, yeah, just sort of uh, fell in love with the club straight away and, you know, I've been lucky enough to play 100 first grade games here, uh, win a premiership and, make some lifelong friends and I've sort of, you know, said it to people before, I sort of hope that I'm part of uh, Norse, you know, for the rest of my life. But, yeah, it's definitely been an awesome experience. And being part of the Shoot Shield, which is probably the, I guess, the, the toughest club competition in Australia, has been uh, super fun as well to place to play out my career. Hmm. What's it been like, yeah, stepping up from the John Eden Cup to the Shoot Shield? Did you really have to sort of work on your game a bit more or get a bit more, um, you know, physical and put a bit of muscle on to be able to, um, you know, play week in and week out? No, I think, as I said, playing against, getting the opportunity to play against men uh, in the John Dent when I was still in Colts sort of helped with that physicality piece and, and, you know, playing against bigger bodies because I'm not really a big guy myself. But I think probably the biggest step up when I came up the shoot shield was probably more the speed of the game and probably a bit more structured, especially in Norse, like, if anyone watches it, we're probably renowned for having that fast tempo, highly structured game. Um, so it was just stuff, stuff like that. I'd never really done a home shape before or anything like that. You know, a lot of teams play the one three three one now or one three two two, whatever it may be. And that's sort of quite common in world rugby now. But I, at the time, I'd never really heard of anything like that. And so just probably just that rugby IQ um, was probably a bit of a fast track uh, as soon as I landed here. But that was probably the main difference in terms uh, of the two competitions. And I think just probably just more of the depth as well. Like, you know, probably when in my time anyways in the John Ant Cup, there's always two or three good teams and probably the, the other three were struggling a bit more. Whereas especially the last few years in the shoot shield, it's been crazy. Like this is, you can't turn up, you know, half off. Otherwise you just get your pants pulled down. Yeah. hundred percent. The, the competition is very fierce up there and you sort of don't know who's going to be, you know, a threat that that season, like we're seeing this year, the Hunter Wildfires are really stepping up and, um, you know, showing their talents off. And, you know, previous years, it's always someone just clipping at the heels of, um, let's say, yourself, you guys there in North or, or Sydney Uni. So it's a really good competition there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, yeah, you really don't know who's going to turn up each year. And as I said, it's, I can't even think of like a game that might be even half easy this year. Mm. Mm, that's awesome. So when, when you did arrive in that 2016 season, what went right for the club in order to win the championship? Yeah, I think obviously I was very lucky to come, you know, halfway through that year. I sort of, from memory, had a bit of a slow start. And then just as I, just before I arrived, they sort of got on this winning streak. Uh, funnily enough, that winning streak went on to last about 21 games. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, at the time there was a lot of, um, blokes who were sort of, you know, that mid, you know, 24 to 26 sort of age, um, really starting to hit their prime of their career. Um, and like names that have gone on, like, you know, Hugh Sinclair, um, Will Miller, Eri Simone, Angus Tarve, I was playing for us at the time and he's going to be an all black. Um, 
kind of Vess who's playing at the Reds now. I think there was just like probably those guys who were just really about to hit their peak. And I think it just became this, you know, I like winning just sort of almost became infectious. Like even in those really tight games when we're probably down and out, we just seemed to find a way to win uh, for whatever reason. And, yeah, I think it just became this snowball effect that we just, yeah, almost became winners. So it was really exciting. And then obviously we'll coach, you know, by Simon Cron, who's over at the Western Force now. And he was, yeah, I talked about um, increasing my rugby IQ before when I came to Sydney. I think being coached under him for two years just accelerated my IQ um, massively. Yeah, and then like all the pieces just sort of fell into place and it was, yeah, a pretty hectic day there at North Sydney Oval. That's awesome. It, it, it's it's really cool to see, you know, players go on and coaches go on now to higher honours. And we're seeing that quite a lot now in the shoot shield. And even if players, like I remember Cam Holt played up there um, with Gordon for a season and he's like, yeah, half the team, you know, got signed that year and it wasn't really a good year for them, but they got signed to contracts over in France or in the States or in Japan. And it's just a really good stepping stone if you do want to take your um rugby career to the next level or if you're just really happy playing shoot shield week in and week out it's it's a really good competition as you're saying and it is the pinnacle of club rugby in australia yeah for sure i mean even the last few years like there's been that many blokes go over the premiership obviously mlr is a big one uh, and then feb in japan like yeah it's actually crazy how many blokes you hear at the end of the year getting picking up gigs mm. um, all around the world 100%. So for rugby athletes wanting to play in the shoot shield and be successful, what advice would you give them? Um, I think just from my time in the shoot shield, I think, one, I enjoy it. And two, I just, you know, I really care about the club I play for. And for me, it's not necessarily about my own performance. It's about the team winning. Um, and I think the byproduct of that is being I've played my best football when I've had that attitude of, you know, you start doing those little things like jumping on the loose ball, kick chase and all that stuff when you really care about the team and the teammates that you're playing for. And I think, you know, if you're trying to get the best out of yourself, I'd probably just say putting yourself in that environment where, yeah, you really enjoy it and, and you really care. Yeah, you, you need to, if you are looking to play for a club in the shoot shield, you, you got to make sure that you can fit their club values and standards as well and offer something to them and not just sort of, you know, going there for an opportunity, like you got to do more because it is a club team and they survive on people being volunteers and going that extra mile. And if you're a good teammate on the field and off the field, then the clubs are only going to succeed. And those are the best clubs that I've seen and been involved with is having people who are willing to, you know, sweep the sheds after, pick up that rubbish, take down the pads off the post. And it, it all, all that stuff just makes a huge difference at the end of the day. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, you talk about guys, if they're wanting to get picked up elsewhere around the world, I think, you know, when the team's doing well, those natural selections, which I talked about, you know, with the 2016 team, they just sort of take care of themselves because the team's so success, successful and they want players from, from those teams. Mm. And I'd say probably one thing for the Shred Shield, which is also relevant to many other club competitions, is, you know, if you're a young guy, just be patient. You know, if you're playing Colts, there's nothing wrong with playing Colts, you know, for a couple of seasons and then eventually getting your shot at second grade and first grade. Not everyone's going to, you know, jump straight into first grade, straight out of school. It 
it rarely happens, I would say. You just really got to buy, uh, bide your time and learn the skills, learn the way that the club is trying to play. Like you said, you needed to learn a bit more of rugby IQ stuff when you got to Norths. You know, it's a great time to, to develop that in, in Colts. So just make sure you pick a good club, be a good person, but, um, you know, take your time to develop because many rugby athletes these days aren't getting signed to like, say, mid twenties, you know, it's, it's, it's a rare thing to see people besides, you know, Jorgensen for the Waratahs to go straight out of school and play, start playing super rugby. Yeah. I think you probably, people probably get caught up obviously because they're the big media stories, but I know even at Norse from a grey perspective, you know, we had blokes like Jack Brewer and Seb Cameron who sort of came out of Colts and they sort of bid their time in the second grade playing a little bit of ones. And then in the last two years, they're sort of in their mid-20s and they've just really hit their straps and they're probably the first couple of blokes getting picked each week. On top of that, like my good mates with Hugh Sinclair is at the Waratahs now. I think he started in third-grade Colts. Didn't play a heap of first grade in his early 20s and all of a sudden he was first-grade captain and I think he didn't get his first full-time Waratahs gig until he was about 26. So, mm. um, yeah, I think those opportunities are definitely still there for the people who just stick at it. Yeah, we just got to be patient and... And seeing where the opportunities are, uh, arise and, you know, playing good footy here could mean somewhere um, like an opportunity somewhere else as well. Yeah, so you just sure. got to bide your time, be a good club man and, and see what happens. So something that hasn't been around for a little bit is the NRC. You know, I thought it was really cool to to have that type of competition and you had the opportunity to play for the Sydney Rays, which was, you know, awesome to see. How does Australian rugby bring back a competition like the NSC? And do you think we need that competition again? Yeah, probably something a bit above my pay grade. Look, I really enjoyed playing in the NRC, but at the same time, I was, you know, I was only really 22, 23, and I had a little bit of flexibility with work. But then I remember just like, I think it was 2018, 2019, like the shoot shield seasons in particular, this flowed straight into the NRC. And you got a lot of those older blokes who, you know, for instance, myself, I was probably, you know, probably should have only been playing on the bench, maybe, maybe starting. Um, but then all of a sudden I'm starting and I was almost one of the older boys because we we're having to pick all these 20 year olds because um, the older blokes couldn't do it because the work commitments and the training didn't really align for the same hours you're doing in the shoot shield few of the travel requirements so then in the end it, for some teams in particular not the Rays it probably wasn't that second tier competition that was supposed to be it was almost like an under 23s team so I think in that part it probably didn't serve its purpose I think there probably is an argument for that second tier competition or maybe you know the shoot shield's already so long so it's sort of hard to get these blokes to go around for another 12 12 weeks so I think there is some merit in it but I think the structure that the NRC was in the end was just yeah it was kind of like it just wasn't you know set up for the best players wanting to be playing um, and then it sort of just became a bit of a you know blokes just rolling out for the sake of it trying to pick up a super gig maybe mm, 100% and you, you need a bit of a break after a long season. So going straight into the next season isn't really sort of feasible. And you, you look at the Super Rugby players, they are only playing a short comp themselves and will have a couple of weeks off. Then they're into international stuff, but not all of them are getting yeah. picked for the international. So they, they had a bit of time to recover and rejuvenate and then go play season. Whereas the club guys, you know, it's not their full-time gig. They're having to sacrifice a lot to go play these games and potentially get opportunity, potentially not, but... They could also pick up an injury that could, you know, 
set them up to miss some work and um, yeah, all those little things as well. Yeah, and I think like obviously it's easy to look over New Zealand like the NPC over there and like how fiercely it's supported. But those clubs have been around for a long time. They're sort of supported in the same way that club rugby supported in Australia. Whereas, you know, these Sydney teams were slapped together. I think one year were the Rays, next year were the Sydney Anchors or something like that. And, like, you know, you'd roll out in front of 10 blokes and it'd be 12 o'clock stinking hot in September. And, you know, that's when I was probably mm. thinking that's when I needed to take up golf. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I think Tim Horan hits it on the fence where it's like, okay, if we're going to bring this competition back, we need it to be the actual clubs that already are there. So, you know, like yeah. a Norths, you know, like brothers up in Queensland, like they've already been established, bring them into it because they can sort of fund stuff themselves and they've got a fan base as well. And that would pro- probably be the better way to do it if you're going to pick the best clubs from Sydney and Queensland. And then if you're going to have a Canberra teams or teams, you might need to look at a representative teams there. It's a bit easier because we're all so close to each other and, and all that. Yeah. So, but if you're going to do it, I think that's sort of the way to go. And yeah, maybe just better plan it, not straight after the season. There's a bit of a gap or break or just something. So we're not losing players and not setting them up to fail for next season because if you sustain a bad injury, you're going to be out for quite a bit and you're probably going to miss a lot of preseason next year. And it just that roll-on effect for next season is not going to be the best for you. Yeah, and I think sort of just need to incentivize, give the blokes who are, you know, 24 to 27 or 28 in that sort of prime, you know, sort of need to give them a reason to play. Whereas I think the NRC in the end, it was just like, what's the point? Yeah, I'm busted. I'm not going to pick up a super gig. You know, why would I want to just go slave away doing that for the sake of it? Yeah, 100%. You need reasons to play and making sure that the players are playing for a purpose and do have some incentives, but also you know, that they're taken care of as well. Once they play, um, if they do get injured, they have the services there provided for them, not just uh, you go figure it out yourself and we might pay you back later. Yeah, for sure. Mm. So outside of rugby, when you do get some free time during the week, what do you like to get up to? Um, well, I guess in winter, I just like to kick back and relax with my mates. Um, obviously, like I didn't go to school in Sydney, so a lot of my mates are just the Norse rugby boys. So team down at the beach or whatever it may be. And then um, in summer, as, as I said before, I've gotten into golf a bit and I've actually uh, throughout throughout COVID sort of got into horse racing a bit. So I'm a member at the Australian Turf Club now. So I like to go along to Royal Ram. We can, you know, lose a bit of cash on the horses, but it's still good fun to cheer them on anyways. Mm. Do, you, do you think you could ever be a jockey, mate? The boys keep stitching me up because obviously I'm not the biggest guy and – I keep joking around that I'm shredding and I've gotten to the saunas a bit lately, but I think um, I'd still have another 30 kegs to drop before I could even saddle up. So that and the fact that I'm too much of a coward to even get on a horse, I think I'll be battling. Yeah, 100%. Some of those things those jockeys do to lose weight and be so skinny is just ridiculous and I, I wouldn't recommend it for anyone. Yeah, I've got a, too much of a sweet here. I think I've already done half a pack of Tim Tams tonight. So, <laughs> just in preparation. Me, I'm happy to sit there and uh, cheer them on as they go down the straight. Yeah, you're just getting all the energy from those Tim Tams for the weekend for a big game. Yeah, that's correct. Mm. Hi, everyone. We just want to take a quick break from this episode. We hope you're enjoying this episode so far and all the content we have produced. We appreciate all the support from our listeners and followers so far. If you haven't already, sign up to Elite Rugby SNC blog today. 
We provide free exclusive content every single week to our subscribers. You'll find our website link in our bio below. Remember to like, subscribe, and share Elite Rugby SNC on all social media platforms to all your family and friends. Thanks again for all your support, and now back to the episode. So how has strength conditioning training helped you become a better rugby athlete in your career? Yeah, I think uh, probably as I mentioned a couple of times, I think obviously not the biggest guy, and then some of the centers you get around in the shoot shield at the moment uh, are massive. So I think just, you know, being able to build that body armor, I guess, and and, and building up that strength and, and power just to be able to compete with with some of the bigger bodies, um, I think is the main thing. And just the consistency of that. Um, I mean, I'll touch wood here. I've been pretty lucky with injuries through my career. And I think just not doing anything crazy in the gym or anything outside of the box, but I think reasonably consistent with it each week. Uh, as I said, sort of just built the body armor to, to keep the durability to get through the season as much as anything. No, it's awesome. So what makes a good center you think in your eyes for, to play in the shoot shield? Um, well, I think it just varies. I mean, 12 can be a position that teams play a lot differently. Like I know um, I'm probably don't have the power game that some of the other centers um, that I come up with against do like they might just be hard straight runners Whereas the outside of the game is I'm probably touching the ball a lot more than a lot of other 12s, playing almost like a hybrid between a 10 and 10, 12. Um, so I think it's just, you know, fitting in around, um, you know, what, what your team's game plan is. But at the end of the day, I think you're in that position where you need to be able to carry, catch, pass, kick, and you need to be a good defender. So I think it's one of those positions, um, a bit like a seven, where you need the all-round skill base Um to perform, I guess, to perform your task at a reasonable level. But, yeah, I guess it's one of those exciting positions where you can play it in so many ways. You know, you can be a 105-kilo crash ball centre or you can be a smaller guy like my like myself who's looking to distribute a bit more and set up space around him and stuff like that. So, it's yeah, a position that I certainly enjoy playing. Oh, that's awesome. How do you prepare to play 10? Because I know that you're playing 10 this week, if I'm correct, seeing the team list. Does your sort of game plan and mindset change a little bit? Um, a little bit. I think you probably, um, I sort of enjoy the physicality bit of playing 12, whereas you kind of need to step back a bit when you're playing 10. And, you know, throughout my time at North, I've always sort of been the second string guy, whoever it was Gus Sinclair or my brother or Jude at the moment. If one of them was out, I always seemed to get slotted into there. And I think did play a bit there growing up. And as I said before, it's just about having that all around skill base that you can perform those tasks. I mean, Sometimes I seem to go better at 10 than other weekends. But, um, again, it's a nice little change-up. And I think um, being having played a lot of 12, you sort of get um, a good understanding of what a 10 needs. Um, but, yeah, it's a fun position. I, I don't mind being in that driver's seat, but um, probably don't want to be doing it every week. <laughs> 100%. And it's so good that you do have that ability to switch out from 10 to 12. And for anyone listening out there, like you, you really need to be able to have a dual threat like and it, it just gives a reason for the coach to pick you and i was talking to one of the the physios tonight at, at training and we're talking about the wallaby squad and i'm just thinking okay we, we can only take around what 30 32 plays over there and you know with that new concussion rule of 12 days you really need to be selecting plays that can play multiple areas like say like a reese hodge who can play pretty much anywhere um, in the back line and can also kick and you need to be picking plays who can kick goals as well so 
you really need to be able to have that depth these days and be able to play multiple positions. Yeah, for sure. I mean, when I first came to Sydney, I um I told Simon Cron that I could play fullback, but uh, I'd never actually played there before, but I was happy to get stuck in there. And then that was my position for the first couple of years in Sydney. And to be honest, I probably wasn't going to get a gig at 10 or 12 over Gus or Eri. So I think just being having the option to play another position um, meant that I was in the North team to begin with. And when I first started playing NRC, I was mainly playing fullback. So I think being open to have a crack at other positions, look, it only makes you a better footballer for your preferred, preferred position. Um, but I actually ended up having a lot of fun playing 15 as well, whereas something I'd never really considered. And it was probably my better position at the time anyways. And sort of, you know, I was only 20 and small, so I probably wouldn't have been up to playing inside centre. But then, you know, by the time I was 22, 23, playing more of 12, my body had matured. Yeah, I'd still played 30-odd first-grade games and I was probably ready to be a, a first-grade uh, inside centre at that point. Mm, and you probably read the game a bit better at 15 to understand, okay, when I do make that transition to 12 and, you know, play a few games at 10, I can understand where I need to, you know, put myself in the attacking line and the defensive line to really be effective and dominant as well. Yeah, for sure. And I just think it's just a, yeah, another string to your bow. And yeah, as I said, you just get to see the game from another pitch. So I certainly enjoyed playing 15. I think, as I said, probably a position that helped accelerate my rugby IQ. I'm not sure how I'd go there now. I probably don't have the speed for that anymore, but certainly enjoyed it in my earlier twenties. Um, it was probably my, became my preferred position for a bit anyways. Mm. Especially with the type of kicking game we're seeing nowadays, you probably don't want to be doing all that running anyway. Yeah, no, I think I'm happy to sit in the line and watch <laughs> the boys kick over my head. Yeah, 100%. So what does your strength conditioning program look like, um, you know, this week heading into to, to the next round? Yeah, so we've sort of changed it up a bit this year. We tend, Monday we all meet at the Shore School and we have a gym uh, we gym together. We sort of loosely follow a similar sort of program to each other, sort of based on how you're feeling and whatnot. And, um, and then sort of was, uh, then the, the program's quite loose in the shoot shield. Like, I don't know what other clubs are doing, but ours is a bit self-managed to an extent. You're given the program and then it's about when you do it. So I think Monday I do my core lift with the team, main strength sort of session, and then on a Thursday morning, I'll go do a more plyo power sort of session as a bit of a primer. Uh, heading into the weekend, I sort of started that routine maybe three or four years ago, and it seems to work for me in terms of feeling like I've done enough prep and I'm strong enough and powerful enough, but also um, not overcooking myself as well. Yeah, I, I like that aspect of yeah, not overcooking and allowing for recovery as well. We can sort of get caught up a bit too much trying to do all this stuff during the week in the in season and trying to tick all these boxes with gym sessions and field sessions and all that. And then you get to game day and like, fuck, I'm pretty fatigued right now. I don't really feel like I can perform at my best. Whereas you should be heading into game day, you know, not overly fatigued, not overly fresh, finding that good balance. Like I've done a good amount of work and I'm ready to go for this game. Yeah. I think sort of like obviously in the professional environment, you get that's all taken care of. Right. Whereas I think, and you are working full time or you're studying for uni now. I think you just, yeah, you got to tweak around and play with it. And as I just work my five day week at work now, and I've got those days I go to the gym, might vary my exercise based on how the body's feeling, but it started working for me. And I'm, it seems to, yeah, as I said, I feel like I've done enough work, but I'm still hitting Saturday fresh and, and ready to go. Mm. 
That's awesome. So for every athletes wanting to play first grade rugby, what advice would you say in regards to, to their strength and conditioning program? Um, I think probably one thing um, is just, I guess, be consistent with it. Um, you obviously in that semi-professional environment, you always see the guys who are a bit looser with it, maybe being the guys who get injured a bit more. I think probably one of my strengths has been is just being consistent with it. I'm not doing anything outside of the box, but yeah, just consistently showing up on my Mondays and Thursdays and, and doing it. And then I think adding on top of that, probably something I wish I did more of um, throughout my mid-20s is working on that speed, sort of spend a bit more time on my early 20s when I had time and I wasn't working full-time. Um, but then as, you know, full-time work takes over, then something like speed or, or an extra power session is probably what drops out. And I think... Yeah, anyone, especially young, I think really get hooking into their speed would be um, the best sort of stuff. Even my own brother, Max, he sort of did a lot of work on his speed in his early 20s and he's managed to go and you know, play Australian sevens and, and has just debuted at the Western Force. And I think he's real X-factor bit is his speed that he worked hard on during his early 20s. So if I could go back and change one thing, it's probably being doing a little bit more work on my speed once I hit sort of my mid-20s. Hmm. It's probably the thing that can separate you from one player or the next or making that next team is, you know, speed and power and strength is, is always going to be needed and you definitely need it to be able to be powerful and, and, you know, be speedy out in the field. But if you're not practicing and training those two attributes of speed and power, then you're not going to be able to do it in a game. So just sprinkle that in during the week. Like for, for me as a strength and conditioning coach, we're always doing it. At, and as part of our warm up, you know, on our Tuesday, Thursdays, and it's sprinkled into the gym program as well, but it's not overdoing it. As you said, it's, it's doing enough. So you're getting a good stimulus throughout the week and then can utilize it at training and in a game as well. Yeah, for sure. And I think even like some of you, the boys who come back from super rugby programs or whatever, not, necessarily like squatting or bench pressing that much more but it's more those power attributes um you know like the plyo sort of stuff or then just that raw speed that you can probably tell is a little bit different between the bloke playing semi-professional rugby and the bloke playing professional rugby mm. you see rob valentini he's probably our best six eight who just gets so many post-contact meters and it's because he's super powerful and works on it daily and, and weekly and he just continues to perform at a consistent level. And to be honest, it's probably our best super rugby player this, this, this season. Yeah, for sure. And then you've got the opposite end. Who's a small player like Corey tool. Who's just lighting up super rugby at the yeah, moment, right. which is great to see. Yeah. There's no substitute for that speed. Mm. It just seems like all the, all this talent is coming from Wagga, mate. It just seems like Wagga is the place to get good rugby athletes. eh? They say something's in the water down there, but I must've been drinking from a different Creek. I reckon. Yeah. Does, does your brother have a good moustache as well? No, he's got more of a thin pencil seedy one. So they're probably the only jeans I got over him that were a bit better. <laughs> How long have you been growing that moustache for? Uh, sort of, I had it on in COVID for a while and then I got rid of it and then sort of bought it back, back end of October and I sort of just trim around and play with it. But uh, I think it's saying everyone thinks I look weird with uh, no facial hair now. So I think it's going to stick, stick around a little bit longer. Yeah, I've only ever shaven twice since leaving uh, year 12 and both times I've instantly regretted it. One time was just after, you know, first year of cults for our presentation. I was like, screw it, I'll shave. And I was like, who the hell is this person in the mirror? I was a baby face. 
And then one time I was trying to, you know, touch up my beard myself, you know, trying to save a few bucks from the, the barber and made a big mistake. And I was like, shit, why did I do that? Now I got to <laughs> shave it all off. So yeah, I definitely agree that we, we probably do look better with the, the facial hair. Yeah. Especially as my head gets a bit more banged up, sort of covers mm. a few nooks and crannies. <laughs> so when it comes to banter on the team, who has the best chat um, in uh, Norse rugby? At Norse, I don't know. I'd nearly vote myself. I, I, can you do that? You can, for sure. I'd only say that because a lot of recently, like, we've had a few new guys come in, a few guys come out of cults, and they think I'm this all serious captain all the time. So I managed to get a few of them. They think I'm being serious with everything I say. So I can sort of lead them down the park, uh, garden path with a few different pranks. So I've been, I've been getting some good wins on the board there lately. Um, and then who, who else? Some of the lower graders at North, some a bloke like Tommy Evans. Uh, weird fact is he was he won a uh, he was on a million dollar hot seat, so he's just a quirky sort of dude with a good bit of banner as well. Did he win any money on that? Yeah, he won like a hundred grand or something like that. Fuck yeah, that's nice. Yeah, so he got that, but um, no, nah, I think yeah, banner's probably again one of the reasons I keep coming back to the club because there's. If you, if you spoke in front of anyone else about some of the inside jokes, I think you're an absolute idiot or that's sending you to a mental asylum, but you, you hang around the club long enough and they just make enough sense and it's all hilarious to the, whoever's in there. Mm, and it's a way for you know players just to express something different and relax and just have a joke for you know a couple of minutes or for you know just the m- multiple times during the week and distracting themselves from what else is going on in life and just having a good time. And I think that's what we forget in rugby. We're there to have, enjoy it, have a good time, work hard. Um, but, you know, some things just you can't offer that that laugh and that banter, you know, in life. And it's a really good way for, you know, players like yourself just to have a couple of hours off during the night, during the week and just have some fun with mates. Yeah, for sure. And I think you sort of get that no bruises mentality. So everyone's happy to take the piss out of, each other, or at least for the most part, anyway, you get a few sooky blokes. But um, you know, at the end of the day, you don't actually mean half the stuff you're saying. You're just having a good old crack because it is funny, and you sort of get those different cultures. Like we get, we got a bloke over at the moment, Michael Scott, um, tight air prop, and I just love his Scottish accent. So he just cracks me up with whatever he says, just because of the accent. Mm. And that's another thing with rugby. You can meet all walks of life from different countries and stuff, and it's just awesome to meet um, different people. Yeah, for sure. Totally agree. So what makes a good teammate on and off the field? Good teammate. Um, well, good players is a good start with. But I think, you know, there's you always got those flashy guys in your team and whatnot. But I think the blokes I've always admired um, are just those hard workers, you know, who sort of always put their body on the line for you. Super reliable sort of blokes. Um, and then, the, you know, I guess they are that you know they're good banner. They're happy to take a bit of banner. They don't take themselves too serious. I mean, I remember when I first came to Norse, a bloke like Will Miller who spent some time at the Brumbies was just hard as, and he was sort of just like the bloke you'd never want to let down because he was always just getting beaten up, but he'd just get back up. And I think those sort of teammates um, are the ones you just love on the field because you, it sort of lifts you. You do anything for them because you're seeing visibly that they'd do anything for you on the footy field, and then. I think just like those blokes after a game, we're just happy to sit around and have a beer in the sheds. I mean, 
nothing pisses me off more when blokes are just straight into their mufties heading off to go see their missus or whatever. I think, you know, just sitting there and spending time together in the change rooms and having a beer and a laugh, whether you, you've won or you've lost, is just such special moments that, you know, as I've got older, you realise you never get back. And they're the sort of blokes you end up love defending next to or whatnot because you spit, you know, that you share those special bonds of just having those, yeah, you know, and nothing night on the piss together, but they're sort of just, at the same time, they're just great memories as well. Hmm. That's something Dan McKellar was mentioning on the podcast as well, how he just loves after the game, no matter what the, the result was, just sitting around, having a beer and just talking about the game, you know, talking about yeah. that one instance when you're just like smacking your head or something funny happened or something was really good and you want to bring that memory back for that player and the team. And yeah, those conversations and memories that you make in the changing room, changing room are some of the ones that, um, you, you really want to be a part of and make sure that you are there as a team, you know, celebrating a win, but also um, staying and, and getting around each other after a loss as well. Yeah, for sure. I think talking about, you know, you play your best footy when you care for the team and your teammates, I think they're the, that they're the sort of situations where, you, you know, you're sitting there having a beer together and you're really starting to get to know each other on a more intimate level. And then, you know, they're the blokes you care for. They're the blokes you start making that cover tackle for because, you know, you care about them personally. You're not just teammates, you, you're actually mates. Hmm. And then you start having those conversations of like, you know, how's life outside of rugby going? How's work going? And all those little things. And you can really start to build a really good connection with them. And, you know, you're building friendship for life. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, obviously mental health is such an issue in uh, people of our age these days. And I honestly believe if more people had what I know I get out of rugby, they were able to find that advice, whether it's a rugby club or whatever, there'd probably be less of that, those sort of issues in the world. So I do think, yeah, it's something that's something that's so special about rugby clubs is you, you, know, you have those teammates who do care for you on an intimate level and stuff like that. Yeah, 100%. I love that. So moving on to my favourite part of the, the podcast, the Triple H, so a hardship. Can you think of a hardship that sort of stands out in your rugby career so far? And how did you get through this hardship and what did you learn? Yeah, I don't think... Um, any one particular hardship or anything like that. I was sort of thinking about this question the other day. I think something that I'm probably look back of and say helped me a lot was obviously being from Wagga growing up, whether it was, you know, the Raiders SG ball playing like the schoolboys or the under 16s Brumby stuff. Um, you know, just all that travel that you had to do, um, your mum and dad taking you over and it kind of felt like, you know, your parents are putting in that commitment to take you over there and you're missing school and that. So I felt it's, only felt worthwhile if you ripped in and trained hard. So that's probably where I got maybe a good work ethic from and training hard. And you always felt like you probably had a bit of a chip on your shoulder um, in terms of, you know, at the end of the day, if you were bomb pegging the same sort of ability as the bloke from Canberra, they were probably going to get picked ahead of you. So you always felt like you needed to be that bit better. And I think, you know, not necessarily it was a hardship or whatever, but it was just something that I had got to experience growing up. And I think on the back end, it probably made me a better trainer. Um, which then in the end made me a better um, footballer as I went into adult life and just, I guess, taught me some good hard lessons as well. Mm. Like I said before, there's some great talent out there in the country, you know, and I think it was under 16 nationals where the coach brought in some talent. I think it was like maybe even 13s and 14s. Um, one of the people who's been on the podcast, Andrew Heffernan, you know, he was selected for um, our Brumby side, you know, just bringing in that outside talent because they were better than some of the people here in Canberra. You know, and they worked hard and we were like, wow, these guys are 
a bit above us as well. So it was really cool to see, you know, there's, there's plenty of talent in rugby. You just got to find it. And it's, it's really cool for you to share that you, you were like, you did have that chip on your shoulder. Like I really got to prove myself here and get selected and work hard for it. And it definitely paid off, mate. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, hopefully um, a few more guys from out in that area can start coming through. Cause they said like, Country kids play that much sport growing up. You talk about the natural touch footy sort of ball playing ability, or and then they play like play a lot of rugby league and stuff as well. So I think there's definitely some talent out there in that country um, pockets. I think it's just how they get access to that and get the probably get the same level of coaching and training as they come through the teenage years. Hundred mm, percent. So hero, who is your hero, and why is this person your hero? Or if you have multiple heroes. Yeah, I was sort of thinking about this one. I couldn't really think of one. I think growing up, you know, you obviously have the cliche rugby sort of heroes, but I think as I've got older and sort of become an adult myself, I think it's just even someone like my old man, just like, again, poor boys, you know, those three of us who went through and were doing like those junior rugby programs and we never missed the training going over to Canberra and stuff like that. And end of the day, just a pretty simple, basic bloke, but just keeps showing up on the grind and, you know, and never let any of us kids down or anything like that. And um, I think you sort of start to admire those everyday people as you get older who just stick out and get out of life what they want um, without doing necessarily these amazing lives that you write an autobiography about. They just, but they're just happy and content and, and doing everyday things. Mm, 100%. Shout out to dad. Yeah. Mm. So last one, highlight. What is a highlight that stands out in your rugby career so far? Yeah, I think definitely winning the, the 2016 uh, premiership was massive. Um, definitely still chasing another one. But, yeah, I think coming in, that was only my 10th first grade game at Norse and still only being 20 at the time was just, yeah, a very hectic experience. And at the end of the day, I think well, one of the reasons I play is to win premierships. And I think being a part of that that year, yeah, it was just something that, um, I remember watching the shoot shield, shoot shield growing up as a kid when I was on uh, ABC. So, yeah, to be part of that was um, yeah very special. And I think, I guess, on some personal milestones, uh, pretty much as soon as I joined the club, I wanted to become a part of the 100 club. And to do that and then to go on and play um, 100 first grade games as well was something um, that I'll, yeah, I'll cherish for a long time as well. No, it's a great achievement. And I think a really an, another good achievement is becoming a captain as well to be able to lead your team out there on the field so what what makes a, a good captain and what's your sort of leadership style as well um yeah i don't know i think probably got to be yourself a little bit like i know i had some really strong captains before me like Hugh sinclair and will miller and i think at the start um, i was probably trying to be a little bit too like them whereas you know at the end of the day i'm not them i'm a different personality i'm a different bloke um, so I guess just being yourself and being true to that, otherwise the boys are just going to see right through you. Um, and I think the most important thing, something I'll probably need to take my own words of wisdom lately, is you've got to play good on the weekend. I mean, you know, if you're not playing well yourself, it's sort of hard to sit there and dictate to others. So I think, you know, the best leaders play well on Saturday and then from there they can assist others. And, yeah, I think just being true to yourself and, and, and playing well yourself to begin with is good fundamentals of um, being a captain. Yeah, 100%. I, I definitely agree with that. So last couple of questions. If you could only give one or two points of advice for rugby athletes out there, what would you say? Yeah, I think um, 
one just be, be being it for the right reason, being a team where the team you want to win for the team, not you're not in there yourself to get picked at the next level or whatever it may be. Be be there to win and to win for your team, and then I think from a training perspective, like I mentioned before, work on that speed. Hundred mm, percent. You need need speed. Speed kills. You know. Absolutely. You, you look out in the field and like. Damn, he's fast, you know. Yeah, that's it's it's what gets you and separates you from scoring tries and probably not scoring tries. I'd I'd rather line up against a massive bloke running straight at me than being one on one with a quick fella out in the wide channel. That's for sure. Yeah, especially speed, when, is, speed is much more scary. Yeah, especially when they beat you, like ah oh, shit, there he goes yeah, down. Embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. So, who should be my next guest on the podcast? Is there any old or current teammates that sort of come to mind? Um. Yeah, maybe hit up, hit up Hugh Sinclair if you can. I think what we're talking about before, he's got a good story of starting off like third-grade Colts and pushing on to then play um, not only with the Waratahs but then Australia as well. I think there'd certainly be some good lessons in there for young rugby players coming through or possibly getting possibly getting a little impatient. Sounds good. I'll definitely reach out to him. So if people ever want to you know, reach out to you or follow you on social media, where, where's the best place to do that? Um, man, I'm just very basic. Harry Bury uh, at Harry Bury on Instagram. Um, you won't get much content out of me, but if I have a few beers on a um, Saturday night, a few shit stories that will be deleted <laughs> Sunday morning. That's um, hilarious. We'll, we'll probably get uh, removed, but so you'll have a <laughs> bit of a window to get in, some insight into some of the weird characters at Norse. There we go. I love it. So thanks for joining me today, mate. It's been awesome to get to know you more. And um, thanks for sharing, you know, some some really good advice for people out there and all the best for the rest of the season. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how you go for the for this season, but also for many more seasons to come along. So thanks again for joining me. Cheers. Thanks, mate. And I appreciate you having me on. Thanks for tuning into another episode of Elite Rugby SNC podcast. Remember to like, subscribe and rate Elite Rugby SNC on Spotify and YouTube. And make sure you follow us on Instagram. Sign up to come a beast via the link in the description or via Instagram page. Also, don't wait, make that good decision and join Elite Rugby SC today and take your game to the next level.